surprise. So the last time I was up here, um, if some of you remember a few years ago, uh, Abby did that same song, Shoulders. And um, it's a little bit sorrowful because uh, we were going to be leaving. And um, so we thought it was a good idea for me to come back and to let you guys know what we've been doing. Um, Jeff called me this morning and as he was praying for me so that I didn't get up here and act like a donkey. <laughs> he, um, he wanted me to express his love because he's filling in for, for Tom, who's not doing the greatest. And so let's, uh, let's pray for, for them right now. Uh, let's pray for this continued service. Uh, Father God, we are just uh, so grateful to be here and in your presence. And Lord, as the worship team has uh, just ushered in your spirit, Lord, you are so welcome here. We are so grateful that you have met us here. There are way more than two or three gathered in your name, Lord Jesus, and you promised that you would be here with us. And so we know that you are And this brings us so much joy and so much pleasure to to be in your presence. And so, Lord, for the message that you have today, Lord, uh, let our strength not shrink in the day of adversity. Let us stand and be strong together. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So, um, yeah, so the last time I was here... Uh, Jeff had sent us out as missionaries, and do I sound staticky? Yeah, man, it's terrible. Let's move me down a little bit. How's that? Is that better? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I was killing myself. Uh, <laughs> I can't stand to hard to hear my own voice. But anyway. Um, He sent us out as missionaries, and the time before that was with tears and sorrow that we had to say goodbye. But uh, God had sent us out to northeast Nebraska in order to be closer to her family and uh, to spread a message to the churches of accepting people that look like me when they come into their church. And uh, not only me, but guys like... When it comes up, guys like this. And most especially, a guy like this. I want you to look at that and think about it for a second. Um, Remember that in everything that we're doing, that we might be entertaining angels and that Jesus might be right there in our midst. Um, Hebrews chapter 2. Where's my marker? Actually, I'm sorry, 13.2. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And this is the calling that God has given me, of remembering those, the prisoners who have been chained and mistreated. And so... We don't want to forget from 
Titus chapter 3, that we too were once lost. 3 verse 3 says that for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So what have we been saved for? I believe that we've been saved for just a time as this. And let's turn to Matthew 25 and see what Jesus has to say about it. We're going to start in verse 31 and go down to 46. And I know it's a little bit long, but these are red letters, and so it's worth our time. Amen? So Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger or take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will all answer him. They will also Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Contemplate on that for a second and then... I'll tell you why it's natural for me to, to preach to the least of these. It's because I am one. So I'm going to give you a quick testimony of my life and why that is. I was born a 10-pound crack baby. And um, the saying was that my mother, was she was a hippie, and having babies wasn't going to change her life. So she did whatever she wanted to do. My father was a Vietnam vet and had a ton of PTSD, tried to kill us on more than one occasion. He got kicked out. The next guy that came in beat us relentlessly. And Grandma and Grandpa rescued me when I was four. 
At seven, my grandpa went home to be with Jesus, and I took over as man of the house. At 11, I got baptized. At 12, I was a full-blown gangbanger. 22 years old, I had this unction from the Holy Spirit because he had planted this seed in me long, long ago. And at 22, it began to, to stir inside of me. And I picked up the Bible and read it straight through. When I got to Matthew, I was filled with joy and sorrow. And I could see my life in the pages of a text that was nearly 2,000 years old. This is evidence, my family, of God's word being eternal, living, and sharper than any two-edged sword. It cut me down to thy midst. And I decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. And so I did this, and I did that, and I did the other thing. Notice the common denominator there. I, 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 me, me, me. After some time, my brother, who had gotten six years when he was 18, got out. He paroled to me. And within three weeks, he uh, was accused of a double homicide. Ended up getting life in prison times two. The screw that I was born with, loose, it fell out. I still can't find it. I don't know, is it over here someplace? It's gone. And I backslid harder than I'd ever. Anybody that got in my way was crushed underneath my feet. I spent more time in and out of jail than I could count on my fingers and toes. But Jesus wasn't through with me. The last time I bailed out and I had nothing left, my house had been raided, homies deported, another one locked up, he got 35 years to life, and I fell on my knees. And I had asked God previously, look away from me, because I don't want to repent anymore. I don't want to ask for forgiveness. I don't care about anything. And now he's humbled me to, Lord, I need you back. I can't do this anymore. I was poor in spirit, destitute of self. Lord, I need you. You know what his answer was? God's got a sense of humor. Ghetto bird. Flying around my house. Oh, for those that aren't as ghetto as I am, that's a police helicopter that flies around the bad neighborhoods and finds bad guys. That day it was me. House surrounded by the police, guns drawn, megaphones, badly come out of your house with your hands up. Hey, what's going on out there? I came out, got locked up again. That was God's answer to sanctify me, to separate me from my environment and put me into a concrete box, no bigger than one of the bathrooms here at Calvary Chapel. Nice, pretty orange suit, bright, sunshiny. And my first cellmate was a Bible-thumping Christian. We would study the Bible. We'd wrestle. We'd put each other through walls now and then. We're like caged lions and tigers in there. But God wasn't through with us. What he was doing was the separation so that he could get our attention. I got released. I beat the seven years that they were trying to give me. And I went on this journey. So I got out in a paper suit in the middle of December when it was raining. Kind of like being born into the world. The water, the nakedness. 
I went home to find my house had been, uh, all my belongings had been thrown into a couple roll-offs, and it was flooded. And I had promised God, Lord, I'm not going to go back. I'm not going to go back to my old life. But after seeing that, I went right back to my addictions, my alcoholism, and everything that I knew before. Because that's all I knew. Not to mention, I got out into a recession with a criminal record, and nobody wanted to look at me even sideways. So homelessness took me home to Grandma. She was, uh, we'll just say not doing well. But I got to move in with her the last 13 months of her life and take care of her. One of the greatest moments of my life. See, God had taken my suffering and used it for his glory. Remember that. Okay, because today's uh, sermon title is Suffering's Subsequent Glory. Our suffering equals his glory. So she passed away and God set me free and I moved down to Southern California and God found me spending way too much time on the beach. So he moved me out to the desert. Now, literally, he had to get my attention, sent me out to the desert where he broke me down even more. And I found myself once again, as I'm looking for spirituality in all these ridiculous places, falling before the cross and asking, who are you? And what do you want from me? I found out Paul asked something similar. And once again, God's sense of humor. Do you know what he said to me? This thug who's not afraid of anything. He says, why are you afraid of my gospel? Lord, I ain't afraid of nothing. I'll pick up. I'll show you. I picked up the Bible. I read through John. Now, I had believed that God existed. Everybody here believe that God existed? You ever look at a sunrise and not believe that God existed? You ever get a boo-boo on your arm and it heals and you watch it heal and not believe that God exists? Come on. It's a no-brainer. God exists. Amen? And He loves you very much, but that's what I didn't believe. All the misery I'd seen, all the hurt that I'd put people through, how could you love us and allow this evil and suffering to happen? Read the book of John. There's a lot of suffering in there as well. But you know what overcomes suffering? God's love. God's love took me back to Matthew. And when I got to chapter 12, Jesus said, and I'll just paraphrase, that all things will be forgiven mankind, except for blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, I wasn't reading the context I wasn't reading the context that said that the Pharisees were accusing him of exercising demons by the power of Beelzebub. They were calling him the devil himself. But he said, all will be forgiven. So I'm looking into, Lord, I'm coming back to you. You're telling me you love me. But now you're saying because I blasphemed you, you're going to send me to hell anyway. He said, seek wise counsel. Seek wise counsel. I went looking for a church. The church where I was at had been crushed by an 8.1 earthquake that had happened there the previous Easter. And I went home hurt. Lord, what do you want me to do? And I picked up a phone book. And I, oh wait, phone books. That's, 
Yellow pages, white pages, business names, no Google back then. And I opened it up to churches. And what did I see? Calvary Chapel. There was a Calvary Chapel in Joplin. I had been going to a Calvary Chapel up in Sacramento when I lived up there. I'd go to the gym, walk across the street to a Saturday night service, and then go home and drink. See how good I was doing? Rather than going out and getting into fights. And when I was down in El Centro, I found Calvary Chapel. And I started riding my bike out there because I had so many DUIs and driving on a suspended. Only thing I could do was ride my bike. And so I rode my bike out there. And as I walked in, remember, I'm in Dickies and Lokes and just back in my thug days. And I walk into that church and I just feel the love just hit me like the wind. And I could feel it pursing through my veins. And the lady there, Patty Estrada, she just loved me no matter what I looked like. And she would tell me a few months later, you know what, David, when you walked in, I was a little bit scared. (laughs) But she loved me anyway. And I belonged there. And I didn't want to leave. But I'm still wrestling with the demons that are yelling at me in my ear. You're no good. God doesn't love you. You can't be forgiven. And I started to listen to him. And I started to believe him. And I have enemies. And I'm thinking, fine, if I'm going to hell anyway, no more goody-goody stuff. I'm going to take out my enemies. And when the police come to get me, I'm going to gun down as many of them as possible and go out in a blaze of glory. And as I'm plotting my revenge on these people, God sends a member of the church and she grabs me and says, you're coming. Where are we going? It was a national day of prayer, 2011. And in this auditorium, I heard through scripture, through song, through sermon, Jesus tell me, my son, when I accept you back into the kingdom, all is forgiven. And I said, what used to belong to me now belongs to you. And then tornado. 2011, May. 11,000 people displaced. 161 dead. And we're on our way here with 22 people in a caravan. And I have been praying, Lord, take this from me. Take the alcohol. Take the drugs. The sex. The violence. I don't want any of this anymore. I just want to serve you. And on the way here, we got off the freeway because if you all know, been going through Oklahoma on the freeway, you stop at one, two, three. How many different tolls? And we've got all these axles and trailers. We took Route 66. (laughs) But um, (laughs) more than it was about being cheap or frugal, God had a plan. And it was as we drove down and saw liquor store after liquor store after liquor store. And I was looking at the at the ads that you said, you know, 
12 pack for $6.99, which I used to think, oh, that's a good deal. I'm over there. It made me sick. I started to turn in my stomach, and God took my alcoholism. And with my alcoholism, everything else went out the door. And I came here to this very place. And I slept in this very place with hundreds and thousands of other missionaries. The ones that were pointing the fingers saying this is God's judgment were the ones that were tucking tail and running away when they saw God's love fill Joplin, Missouri. Amen? You all were there. I slept back there in that corner on mission mats for five or six months. And I used to say that when we come to church, God gives you your little dropper of blessing. Oh, there you go. My son, my daughter, thank you for coming to church. Here's your blessing. But on the mission field, five-gallon buckets just dumped on our heads. Chaplains, pastors, lay ministers from all over the country and all over the world coming here and pouring into one another. This was my spiritual boot camp to get me away from my addictions, away from my past, to rebuild, restore, and redeem this soul. Now, I get to go into the jail cells and preach that same message. I get to go in and tell them that Jesus has come to set the captives free. What I'm going to share with you next is a, uh, a chapter. Again, it's, I know it's a full chapter, but we're going to go through 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter's talking to those who have endured and are currently enduring suffering. Great suffering because the persecution against Christians then was much worse than it is against us here. We have it easy here. We're blessed to be able to come on a Sunday and worship freely. To go out into the world and share our faith with little to no persecution. But they didn't have it like that then. And some of these guys getting out, they won't have it easy either. All right, I don't hear any pages turning, so we're going to get started. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sanctification. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while if need be you have been grieved 
by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we are an exegetical church. Yes, not eisegetical. It's not my meaning. We get the meaning from the text. The scriptures, God's meaning. Okay, I'm not going to be able to expound like Jeff does because 25 verses, we'd be here till next week. But I want to give you it from the perspective of the prisoners. And when they see the word suffering, their freedoms have been taken away. They get to see day room, maybe an hour out of each day, and the light of day is darkness to them. Their suffering is great, but it's an understanding that they're being tested like gold, which is being purified in fire. Do you think that if you were a gold nugget and being purified, that you would enjoy your testing by fire? No, we'd be screaming. But in order to get the impurities out of us, fire is necessary. The suffering is necessary. People ask, I'm an apologetics major. And one of the greatest questions that atheists have is what I had mentioned before. If there's a loving God, why is there evil and suffering in the world? I'll tell you one. Any of you in here like to learn the easy way? Nope. We all learn the hard way. Suffering and a wrap across our head every once in a while is necessary. And they're understanding that. Like I said, sometimes it takes God locking us up into a small box and putting us in an orange suit to get our attention. And once I get to walk in there, I have their full attention. Okay, so I'll tell a story. So, uh, the first time that I walked in one of these jails... One of the guys, you think I've got a lot of tattoos, his nickname is Tattoo. And he's covered from the tip of his head all the way down to his toes. He's been in and out of jail and prison his entire life, including juvenile hall. And as I walked in, they came and said, hey, pastor's here. You want to come for church? Nah, man, I just drank my coffee. I'm going to get my workout on. Wait. His cellmate kept saying, come on, man, you need to go. And he would tell me later on. Okay, I felt something telling me I needed to be there. So we went in the room, and as the, the CO was walking me down the aisle, he thought, oh, there's another inmate getting checked in. And then he saw me stop at the door. He said, no way. There's no way that's our pastor. And then I walk inside. And that man gave his heart to Christ on that very day. And he led every cellmate that he had in what he called the book every day, morning and night. Now he's out and he's struggling and he's working hard to keep his faith. But the world looks down upon him. This is Calvary Chapel. We don't look down on anybody. We offer 
love and, and acceptance to everyone who walks through these doors. But not every church is like that. Let's continue. Whom having not seen, verse 8, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. This is where my title comes from. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Who are we not to suffer when our Savior suffered for us? Who are we not to experience these things in order to purge the evil and the impurities from our life? When He did so much for us. To them, verse 12, it was revealed that not to themselves... But to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune of God. Humans, I believe, are mind, body, and soul. If one is out of place, our whole life will be out of balance. Peter here is encouraging us and encouraging my brethren that are are incarcerated to gird up. What does that mean, to gird up? Shout it out, I hear it. Prepare. Pre- prepare. Yes. Like soldiers. Put on that armor of God. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt around our waist that holds everything together, and shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Amen. Gird them up. Get ready to go to battle. And we can't do that if we're not sober. We're resting our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, verse 14. Not conforming yourselves to the formal lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. As obedient children. The oxymoron. No Lord. The two don't go together. Yes, Lord. What do you have for me? Use me. Obedient. Jesus said in Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you to do? Think about that. As obedient children. Children, not conforming ourselves to our former lust. God has given us grace in our ignorance. 
But he's calling us to be holy as he is holy. Verse 17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, when I, we read this in jail just a couple weeks ago, a guy was about to get out and he broke down weeping, weeping that his addictions had not separated him from the love of Christ, that his actions of being in and out, in and out had not come between him and the love of Christ. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Nothing. And he realized that on that very day. And he said, you're not through with me. You're not done with me. Now, this is a large, well-in-shape man. He was doing 1,000 push-ups a day and 800 dips a day. He swole. (laughs) And I told him, bro, if you stub your toe and you cry, I'm going to tell you, quit being a sissy and suck it up. But if the Holy Spirit grabs your heart and squeezes. Ain't nothing you can do about that. And those tears are purging the pain and the torment from your soul. God shows no partiality. And He's redeemed us. We think silver and gold you know, our, our economy used to be based on the gold in our accounts. And now it's based on something, some nonsense. I don't know, oil or something that we don't even have anymore. <laughs> Aimless, but not redeemed our great debts. The great debt of our sin and decision making. How much is that valued at? Million? Billion? The national debt, some trillions? No. Only redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 20, He indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was always the plan. Now this speaks of God's love. Why would he create us knowing that we were going to screw everything up? Because of John 4. God is love. And he's always had the plan in Jesus Christ to redeem us and draw us near to him. Verse 21, who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus nailed our sins to the cross and on the third day conquered death so that we too, after this trial on earth is complete, will be united with him in eternity. Let's finish up. 
since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Since your souls have been purified in obeying the truth. Those of you here whom hold this truth as the lifeblood of your life. What are the next words? Sincere love. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. And if we go back to the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Do we honestly believe that that's something that we can do ourselves? Or is that a gift that God has given us? Allow His gift to manifest itself through love for one another. All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. The flower of grass. Our life is but a vapor, James says. I can tell of countless stories of friends who were breathing one minute and the next were not. Were joyous and laughing and then found dead. Who went to sleep and never woke up. My family, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed our next breath. For those of us who don't know Christ, what are we waiting for? Tomorrow might not come. Okay. I have a visual for you. We're going to go low tech here. I have in my hand two apples. One is bruised, it's scarred, it's wrinkled, it's beaten up. The other, anybody know what this kind of apple is? Red Delicious, probably the most famous and disappointing apple on the face of the planet. <laughs> Amen. On the outside, though, this apple looks beautiful. It has all the qualities that an apple could desire. This one, on the other hand, looks like it should be thrown in the trash. But I guarantee you, inside of this one, there's much to be desired. I'd show you right now by taking a bite, but it would sound disgusting in this microphone. I want you to look inside your hearts. I want you to turn off your tablets, your cell phones, close your Bibles. 
close your eyes. Let's go into a posture of prayer. As we contemplate what we've learned today. And I have some closing thoughts. We will all account to our Maker for every careless word. We all deserve judgment for unrighteousness. But God, rich in mercy, before creation, made His plan of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. And created us despite knowing we would fail. Romans 10.13 Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now I'm up here, I'm still in Dickies, bald, bearded, tattooed. But I wear my scars as badges of honor. All of that past fits into His purpose for me. And your scars fit into His purpose for you. For God makes all things work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Because Jesus' plan has always been to set the captives free. Not only the ones confined in stone walls and orange suits, but also the ones confined here today in addictions, alcoholism, substance abuse, porn, lust, greed, you name it. God is not done with me and God is not done with you. He wants to set you free. And today is that day of freedom. Today we put off the fear of this world. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is from the enemy. It is not from Jesus. His gift to us is the power to break free from whatever binds us. His gift is the love He pours into us as a fountain of living waters. His gift is the fruit of the Spirit that transforms our minds from depraved to decadent. No longer dependent on the garbage of this temporal world, but dependent on the Holy Spirit of eternity. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is anyone here suffering? Is anyone here mourning, grieving, depressed? You're going to think I'm crazy. That's okay, most people do. But that is right where you need to be. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Where we become destitute of ourself and fall to our knees and tell Him, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need you. 
Without you, Lord, I can do nothing. And then we receive the hope of his salvation that comforts even the deepest wounds of our souls. Our lives are but a vapor, like the flower of the grass, here today and gone the next. But God promises eternity with him when we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. Behold, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. Will you open the door to him? Will you believe that Jesus is Savior of your life today? And trust him as Lord of your life to bring you healing for tomorrow. Father God, in your name, Lord Jesus, we open the door to you today. Right at this moment in time, we're begging you, forgive us of our sins. Take away our debt and shame. Heal our hearts from the pain of our mistakes and bring us from the darkness of our past and into the glorious light of your future. Prayer counselors are coming forward. As we keep our heads down, I want everyone who has tasted and seen the goodness of God to be praying for someone who has yet to answer the door. I'm not going to make a spectacle of anything. But I am going to encourage you. Come forth. Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God. Your life that you thought was no longer valuable in the hands of the mighty God. I assure you, and you've heard through his word, he is not done with you. He wants to see you in all of eternity as we put the temporary behind us. I'll pray one more time. Lord, let your knock be heard. Even to us, Lord, who have answered that door, have we begun to shut it in your face? Help us to take it off the hinges that your spirit would wash us clean, regenerate our heart and our soul, and renew us in your glorious mercy. Lord, as we do our best every day and your grace fills in the rest and it draws us to you irresistibly. We pray this blessing over everyone here. And we thank you, Lord, for bringing us to this moment in time and for every amount of suffering that we have endured for making us the mighty men and women of God that we are today. May we be filled with boldness to share with others 
all the magnificent wonders that you have done in our life. When the time comes, let our strength not fail because our strength comes from you. We don't look to the mountains. We look to you. You fill us with courage and power. Let us not be dismayed or ever afraid because we know that you are with us wherever we go. For you will never leave nor forsake us. Thank you for letting that be our testimony. And we're praying for those who have not yet come to you, that it be their testimony starting today. We thank you. We praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so a couple things. Russ told me, remind you, men, stay after and use that might that God has given you to help move some things around. Yes? Amen. And also, um, the men on my nonprofit board, uh, which sends me into the jails and prisons, uh, we do this as uh, aside from the state. The state wants to tell me I got to be Buddhist, I got to be Muslim, I got to be everything to everybody. But I preach Jesus. Amen. Amen. Nobody's going to tell me I can't preach Jesus when I go where I go. Amen. Because I know what He's done for me, and so we do it kind of like a church. And so, if you would like to know more about that. Um, Please come forward. Let me know. We have um, newsletters that my lovely wife has typed up with her gifts. Um, If somebody, if the Lord has placed it on your heart that you would like to donate to such a ministry, I'm not going to pass a plate. The last church I was at, I said, I'm not passing a plate because I want no pressure on you. And then she gets up and says, well, we're actually passing a plate. That's not going to happen here. Okay, not passing a plate. I only want those who desire because the Holy Spirit has told them we want to be a part of this ministry. This is partnership. And please, every single single one of you, every day of the week that you remember, remember the orange and pray for us when we go inside. Thank you for your time. Oh yeah. You can go if you want. (laughs) Or you can hang around here. Come and see us.